Hello and welcome to the Broadcast News Wrap, your shorthand guide to the week's TV news stories brought to you by the best journalists in the business. I'm senior reporter Max Goldbart, and I'm joined by Broadcast Editor-in-Chief Chris Curtis and freelance business journalist Kate Bulkley just moments after Tim Davies' first ever speech as Director General of the BBC. Tim talked tough on impartiality, representation, and even floated the intriguing notion of cutting the corporation's content hours by a whopping 20%. All the analysis coming your way, plus the evergreen what we've been watching on this week's Broadcast News Wrap. So, in the past hour, we have read and digested Tim Davies' speech to all staff. I'm joined by Kate Bulkley, freelance contributor to Broadcast Magazine and Broadcast Editor-in-Chief Chris Curtis. Kate, how are you? Oh, I'm great. I'm really, I'd have to tell you, this speech was so refreshing. I, I just, I feel like this is the right, the right man for the right time. So all kudos to Tim Davies. He said a lot of good stuff. So I'm, I'm good. Good, good. And more, more digestion to come. Chris, how are we doing? Do you feel similar? Uh, yeah, I'm well, though my state of well-being isn't directly linked to the quality of speeches made by uh, director generals or indeed any other TV executive. But um, yeah, I'm, I'm good. I went in, I worked in the new broadcast office, Max, uh, yesterday uh, for the first time and uh, saw some of my colleagues. And that was very refreshing and enjoyable. So um, roll on normality. Excellent news. We could call it new broadcast house. <laughs> I'll, I'll, I'll float that one. I'll float that one another time with the powers that be. Sensational, writer. Yeah, I'm always coming up with these things. So, Kate, maybe we'll start with you. We've we just, as I said, in the past hour, new director general Tim Davy on just his first day in the job has delivered his his first speech to all staff. There's a lot to get teeth into. There's talk about impartiality. There's talk about a kind of less is more approach to commissioning. Um, we'll touch on this later, but there is no talk of uh, left-wing or right-wing comedies. Um, and there's a bit of studios, commercial stuff in there as well. But Kate, what were your initial reactions? Well, like I said, I mean, I think that um, Tim has struck the right notes. Yes, he talked about impartiality, and of course that's key for the BBC. But the, the thing that really hit me was, you know, stop spreading ourselves too thin, don't try to do everything. Uh, I think that's really key. It's something that he he started to carry out at BBC Studios in terms of trying to get really uh, big pieces done, funded properly. That was, and it's, and it sounds like he's taking that across the organization now. I think that's great. Um, he talked about having a studios model and building more commercial value. For, well, for somebody like me who writes a lot about the commercial sector, and I mean, that's just brilliant as far as I'm concerned, because that's exactly what they should be doing. They need, you know, it gets back even to the license fee, because, you know, the argument of the license fee is not going to go away. This current government seems to be a little bit more hostile to the BBC and the whole idea of the license fee. So the more he builds up commercial value and actually, you know, brings in money. I love the way he said, you know, yes, we've, we've made great strides in diversity and inclusion, but we need to do more. I regret we haven't done more. We need to evolve now and we need to evolve fast. And he was talking not just about that, but about how you deal with this new commercial environment. You know, online's moving fast. I love the fact he said, you know, no more linear channels, you know, that we really will assess stuff. It's going to be, you know, digital, digital first, basically. I mean, you know, these aren't sort of, you know, these aren't maybe great revelations, but for somebody who's running the BBC, 
this is fantastic as far as I'm concerned. Mm-hmm. And, and bringing all those things together, you do feel like it, it is quite revelatory. And, and to say that much in your, in your first week probably, probably hasn't, hasn't happened so many times before. Chris, what were some of your key takeaways? Yeah, I mean, it's impossible to read that speech and not feel like Tim Daly has the bit between his teeth to change the BBC. Mm. And I mean, I guess that really just echoes what Kate what Kate has said. But there's, there's, there's an awful lot to digest. A very chunky speech. Um, often speeches by very senior individuals in the TV industry can be a bit coded. Like you need to kind of unpick them, and they can be a little a little bit like politician speeches. This wasn't that. Uh, you know, you can understand the direction of the direction of travel. Tim Davy is positioning himself as a champion for the everyday Britain in regard to their relationship with the BBC. The speech was littered with references to um, certain perspectives and certain postcodes. And it's pretty clear that, that he believes that the BBC is suffering from being too homogenous and that it's very bright, very well-educated, uh, very talented senior um, executives who run it, that he feels there's an extent to which they are disconnected from the ordinary licence fee payer. Now, you can read that as a step away from the left and towards the right. That could be one interpretation of it. But actually, he, I think he's looking at it from a business point of view. And mm. Kate's reference to commerciality is an important one. What he thinks is that the, what I'm taking from this speech is that he wants every single person who pays their license fee to do so willingly based on a sense that they're getting good value for money. And an important part of that is to feel like the BBC that's coming back at them through its output understands what it's like to be them and understands their world. And that's the kind of political angle to it. And the other thing that we'll get into later on in this conversation is that intriguing idea that the sums no longer add up and that the BBC needs to do create less content. And it would be one thing for him to float that idea, which has been said before, but it was quite another for him to put a potential proportion on it. You know, he floated the idea what if we reduced our output by 20%? What would that mean? Not from a cost-saving point of view, not because they need to save that money, but so that you divert that money into the remaining 80% of output. And I thought that was fascinating mm. and, frankly, a debate that the BBC needs to engage with quickly. He also said, Let's, if it's something doesn't work, get rid of it faster, which, again, is another more commercially-minded uh, approach to programming. But again, brilliant. But, but just to be clear, Kate, and I think I, I agree with you on the latter point, certainly fail quickly, right, was the commercial, uh, is, the, is the sort of commercial model, fail fast, well, fail quickly. Well, hopefully not fail know. quickly, but if it, if it fails, get rid of it, yeah. Yes, quite. <laughs> but I, I don't think he was saying, what would we do if we only had 80% of the money? What he was actually saying was, we've got 100% of the money, but let's resource what we do better. Um, and that chimes actually with a move away from traditional linear commissioning for example an awful lot i've talked about this before an awful lot of time effort blood sweat tears in the british tv industry is still taken up with finding shows of a certain type for a certain tariff for Mm. a certain slot on a certain day 
what can we commission? And this is the BBC, but it's also other broadcasts as well. What can we commission that doesn't cost more than £120,000 an hour for a Tuesday night at 7.30? And I think what Tim's talking about here uh, is the smart thing, which is to say, let's not do that, because that isn't what our biggest and best and most ferocious rivals are doing. What they're doing is saying, how can we spend money to give the best talent and a broad range of talent the best opportunity to make the shows that they really want to make and that have the highest quality and not to have to spread yourself covering every uh, aspect of a, of a linear schedule. And I think mm. I'd be amazed if that wasn't ultimately the direction of travel for the BBC and all major British broadcasters. Mm. Yeah, and I, I actually think coronavirus might have in, in some respects sped that up a bit because there's... There's a lot of talk at the moment, isn't there, about the the faster transition from from linear to VOD viewing since coronavirus set in, actually. And it does feel having I, I interviewed Dan McGolpin, uh, head of iPlayer, a few a couple of months ago, and he's talking a lot more about making the linear schedule and iPlayer work much better hand in hand and taking a much more iPlayer first approach to commissioning. And when you take more of an iPlayer first approach, you don't have to fill in those four hours worth of slots each night with originals at each at a certain tariff or, or whatever it might be. You can sort of think bigger with less stuff, I think. Max, what did you think in terms of that speech with regards to the potential return of BBC Three as a linear channel? Mm. It's it's interesting because there was a there seemed to be a slightly coded line. He he clearly won't they clearly won't be forging any more linear channels or DAB radio channels, um, which is which is sort of obvious. He was he was keen to say that linear channels won't be shutting, aka BBC Four. But I, I think at the moment that speech probably leaves it quite open, whereby he's not, it wasn't, yeah. It wasn't clear. He didn't reference BBC Three. And, he, and there were some slightly, not contradictory things, but if you work on the basis that the BBC wants to bring BBC Three back as a channel, so if they want to do that, mm. based on Davy's speech, they would have to find existing capacity in order to do that. He, he also said, we don't intend to close TV channels. Mm. So if you don't close, if you're not going to close TV channels and you're not going to create space for new ones, it's not immediately obvious to me where the space is for a BBC Three to return to, to the near. Certainly at Edinburgh, um, Fiona Campbell seemed to indicate that, that that move was still very much on the cards, Max. Yeah, yeah. And she seemed, she, she uh, initially she kind of kicked the question down the road uh, but then when pushed on it, actually really put up quite a fight for BBC Three to return to linear. And you're right, I'm just looking looking back at the speech. He, he sort of says, we have no short-term plans to shut channels, but then very shortly later says, as we move further towards an online world, we will not hesitate to close channels. So there's kind of a uh, almost a reactive pledge in there. I think, I think that basically we shouldn't get caught up with whether BBC Three is going to go back online, uh, you know, on linear mm. or not. I mean, I think the point is that what he's saying is, you know, linear is not where we're going to be putting a lot of our emphasis in the future. And yet we know that they are, quote, shop windows for our content. And obviously linear channels aren't going to die overnight. But I would say the direction of travel is much more towards what you're talking about. You know, you commission for 
uh, distribution across different platforms. You're not just mm. commissioning for a channel, oh, and it might show up on iPlayer or you sell it to somebody else in the VOD space. You're thinking more, let's say, in, in the round about how your content is going to be moving around the different platforms. Because clearly, I mean, you know, he's very aware, as we all are, that younger audiences are are looking at content differently. And it's not just younger audiences now. I mean, Max, you, you talked about the coronavirus. I mean, we saw that, you know, older audiences are getting, getting the whole spirit of online and on demand. So I think, you know, I think what I, what I take from this is he's saying, let's think more, let's think differently about not only how we commission, which gets back to Chris's point, but how we distribute this stuff. Certainly the kind of content you make you want to make sure it lives on all these different platforms. And it, it feels already like he he grasps that in a, maybe in a much better way than, than Tony Hall did and maybe also drawing on, on his past experiences, um, which will be interesting Definitely. to see. And th- yeah. so this, is, this has been partnered with a slimming down of the BBC board from, from 17 people to 11 um, and a promotion for Charlotte Moore, who Tim Davey defeated to, to the top job a few a few weeks back so she's now chief content officer she's going to oversee radio commissioning and also kind of multi-platform stuff uh chris what do you think about charlotte's new role uh charlotte had um incredible amount of power at the bbc previously and now she's got some more, more um uh, overall what would i say i would say that reducing the number of people on the exec committee seems sensible and it chimes with one of Tim Davies' key priorities, which is reducing bureaucracy. He also talked about fewer meetings and less committees and all this kind of stuff. Absolutely make, makes complete sense. Look, Charlotte Moore is one of the most respected executives uh, in the whole industry. She's got very strong creative credentials. She's been running BBC One and the wider television output successfully for a number of years. I'm slightly nervous when I think that role is already a vast role to think that she's mm. going to have. I mean, how many, does Charlotte Moore have 26 hours in a day? As whenever mere mortals have 24, mm. I don't know what her her bandwidth must be unbelievable. And people do talk about uh, about that, but it, it kind of makes sense. Certainly, she should be on the executive board, and she now is. That makes absolute sense. It's a little bit of a bloody nose for James Purnell, mm. uh, director of what I still sometimes mistakenly call radio, but which is now audio, of course. And, you know, he was reporting previously straight into the DG and now uh, will report into Charlotte. I guess it makes sense strategically, doesn't it, to have all creative and commissioning and content kind of decisions ultimately funneled through, through one person. But radio has for many years sort of been distinct and the extent to which it changes things having it ultimately reporting into charlotte i I don't know it'll need some time to to unpick Mm. Mm. really for me max what the the change of having charlotte moore being the chief um content officer you know means that you're basically trying to bridge what has been kind of a gap between bbc studios and the rest of the organization to a certain extent i think that he that's one of the things he was trying to do um, but yes, I agree with Chris, you know, she's got a lot in her plate. I think what he's trying to do is kind of join things up so that he talked a little bit about how he wants ideas to to work across the BBC. In other words, there aren't these sort of silos of idea making in different parts of the BBC and nobody hears about 
ideas. In other words, you know, this kind of cross-fertilization. I think he's trying to get there, and maybe this is a move to hopefully get there. But I take your point, Chris, you know, that it's, it's a huge job that she's got, and, uh, and, and does audio fit under it? We'll see. Mm, yeah, people talk a lot about bottlenecks, don't they? with regards to her position as being both BBC One controller and director of content. And, and this can, with radio on top of that, you feel like this can almost only, only add to that discussion. Yeah, but I mean, those bottlenecks aren't necessarily Charlotte Moore-shaped bottlenecks. No. They can be bottlenecks all over the organisation. And I think, you know, Davy's speech ultimately was about a speeding up of decision-making, right? Processes across the BBC and, mm. uh, and, and, and a reduction in unnecessary bureaucracy or meetings or whatever. And I suspect that he would include speedier commissioning and content decision-making as part of that, as mm. part of that, um, that process. I do, I do feel as though we also need to discuss this renewed commitment to impartiality, mm. which was absolutely front and center of uh, uh, of this um, this speech, and there is inherent in a suggestion that the BBC's top priority, which is what this is, which uh, Tim has described this as, if your if your top priority is to renew the BBC's commitment to impartiality, it is implicit in that that he believes it has slipped. There mm. is a failing at the moment in terms of impartiality. And I do think that we, um, whilst this speech and Tim's response in a Q&A afterwards makes it clear that the notion that left-wing comedies, in inverted commas, are going to get axed is hokum, frankly. There is an important statement here on the part of the new DG about the BBC making sure that its political perspective is broader than perhaps it has been in recent years. Would you agree, Max? Yeah, definitely. And and I'm not sure in the past couple of years, Tony Hall maybe ever did the best job of of, of placating that idea that that the BBC had sort of slightly slightly missed Brexit in a sense, missed in in quotes, and and also just been t- too much for the the metropolitan liberal elite again in quotes, whereas. I quite like where Tim Tim sort of starts quoting random parts of the UK. So he says from from Cornwall to Shetland, from Suffolk to County Fermanagh. Uh, this is not just an obsession with youth. It's a determination and obligation to make all parts of the UK feel it is their BBC. Um, and I think there might have been a feeling, certainly over the past couple of years, that there are parts of the the UK that don't feel like that anymore. Um, and he's got a bit of an uphill battle because there are, local there are cuts across local news and regional news services at the moment that are being really pushed back on by some quite prominent politicians and that's something that he might have to deal with a little bit further down the line but i think this will be the beginning of a really renewed push from tim to keep hammering home the idea that the bbc goes well beyond london i think also i mean just his languaging when he says you know he wants you know, people to in the BBC to spend time outside of the BBC. That's an mm. interesting phrase. Um, you know, actually listen to what sort of, as as Chris said, you know, what Britons are saying that aren't necessarily part of the BBC. Um, he also really uh, went right at the sort of instituting new social media rules. In other words, not sort of having uh, 
BBC presenters sort of go off on a rant. Um, he said, you know, we want to get declared interests out there and we want more varied voices. So, I mean, he was fairly specific about what he thinks about how we, how, how they renew impartiality or get back to impartiality. So I think this whole idea that, you know, because he has no news background, he's not going to be able to do this is just crazy. I mean, I, I think that, I think that he gets it and he, mm. and, and in some ways he gets it better than Tony Hall did, um, who did have an incredible news background. Again, because Tony Hall in some cases was hostage to his news background, thinking the way they were doing the news was, has, you know, was good and should remain the way they were doing news. And that's, I mean, I think that, I think Tim's got a refreshing approach to this. Let's put it that way. Mm. So I wouldn't disagree with that. But what I would say is I think this speech might play badly within BBC News, right? It is critical of BBC News. Um, Tim Davey is the first director general for many, many decades not to have any significant news background. Um, and um, the newsroom is at the, the newsroom. BBC News as a division is the single largest division at the BBC by headcount. And it's the division that uh, has uh, prompted more director general departures <laughs> than, than, <laughs> than any other. And he's come in on week one and he said, we've got a problem with impartiality. I mean, that's, I can't read it any other way than that. And so therefore it, he is being critical of, of the, the, the news division. So I think it might have played potentially badly there. What I would say though, is there's a lot, there's a lot to take in here. And in some ways, the points he's making about impartiality, about a broader perspective, also chimes with the points that he's making around diversity and, and just the world view of the corporation. And there's a, there's a part early on in the speech where he says, our challenge, the BBC's challenge, is not to convince each other that we're relevant. That's the easy bit. We can surround ourselves with people like us. We debate the latest political shenanigans, internal dramas, and latest press flare-ups as though these things represent what matters. This is dangerous. Mm. It means that we can take our eyes off the key issue of how much value we are delivering to each member of the public and the UK as a whole. And there's impartiality wrapped up in that. There's his commercial imperative value wrapped up in that. And there's a little bit, and he returns to it later in the speech, around diversity sort of wrapped up in that as well, which is about, you know, the notion of a, there being a BBC type. He is trying to broaden the worldview in every conceivable way across news, across content, across the type of people the BBC hires and employs. Mm. And I yeah. think that's really interesting. It's a really, it's really interesting, Chris. And it's also, I love this um, at, near the end when he talks about the 50-2012 organization. I thought that was a really interesting way to think about it. You know, 50% women, 50% men, 20% at least black, Asian, minority, ethnic, and at least 12% disabled. I mean, you know, that's a, that's a pretty big ambition to have because mm. as we all know, um, it's harder to do than, than, than a lot of people thought. And I, I mean, I think that's great. It's like, a, it's putting, it's actually saying something, as you say, as opposed to just, so we, we need to be more diverse. He's actually putting numbers on it. I think that's, uh, I think that's good. Mm -hmm. And saying, you know, there's an ambition to spend the next three months, basically commun communicating these targets to all of his departments and, and coming, coming back before the end of the year to, to report on this. And, and a 20% BAME target would be quite away from where the BBC currently is. And the, I think the country is sort of 15 odd percent 
proportion so the bbc would be over representative if it was if it was to achieve that so yeah it's great to see some meat on the bones isn't, isn't it rather than just we want to be more diverse yeah and a commitment that 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 encounters encapsulates all echelons of the bbc because you know i think everyone understands and 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 recognizes now that improving your diversity amongst your most junior staff is a good thing but it does not in and of itself achieve the aims that that push is intended to and if they end the bbc ends up with 20 percent of its workforce as black and um, minority ethnic but that skews towards lower level mm. positions then is that going to uh, bring about the meaningful change that it's intended to Pro- probably not so mm. look there's a lot to unpack there were you're right max there were promises here of work to be done quite quickly and also updates to come relatively quickly mm. and that's you know we we all began at, at the start of this conversation talking about this is a speech about change and there were there were promises of more change to come mm. yeah strong strong rhetoric on on reform as well he's used the word reform on many occasions and it, it seems it seems hefty and he really he threw the gauntlet down to the to senior executives he sort of said you know, you're, you're going to have to look at your overall team engagement scores, as the term he used. You know, and it's about how you, it's about diversity, how you improve that, you know, how you create an environment that was fair and equal. You know, he, it sounds like he's trying to say, look, we're really going to, we're really going to push this. We're, you know, we're going to be looking at you. You know, you can't just, you can't just skate along because you've had this job. So I thought that was, um, as you say, you know, it's about making the senior decision-making groups more diverse. And that seems to be something he's, focus on which of course is what's going to make change in the organization yeah i mean the potted version of that excerpt of the speech is if you fail to improve diversity in your team you're not getting promoted that's what that's what it says effectively and 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 you know what that's quite a motivating factor for people Mm, who are looking to progress their their career so you know that that feels powerful and it feels again real and tangible concrete and other synonyms meaning the same thing hmm and now we move on to some people's favourite section. It's what we've been watching. Chris Curtis, what have you had on the box? Well, I was excited that there was some cricket on the BBC uh, for the first time in a long, long time. Some free-to-air to, free cricket. Not that I've got a problem with Sky and its incredible investment with, uh, uh, in cricket over the last decades and excellent uh, commentary and punditry teams as you know Max um, I believe NASA has saying to be a god among men um, but it was it was great to see uh, some some free-to-air cricket um, I've also been watching uh, um, at the end of a hard day's zoom calls and um, working trying to deliver the new uh, relaunched monthly broadcast which comes out folks on the 24th of September uh, subscribe today quite often I need something a little bit easy and gentle uh, to watch of an evening. Um, And one of my wife's favorite shows is uh, Australian MasterChef. And so it's stripped on W. Um, So there's a kind of new episode every, uh, every night. It doesn't matter massively if you miss one, Um, but the standard of cooking is amazing. It's sort of ramped up. They've got new, new hosts for the first time in goodness, at least 10 years, I think. So there's a little bit of new chemistry evolving with these new hosts. It's a bit like, 
it's such a big show that it's the equivalent of changing the Top Gear hosts over here or something like mm. that. And um, they're starting to gel. And uh, yeah, watching delicious uh, Aussie um, sort of fusion-inspired dishes <laughs> being cooked every night is uh, keeping me entertained as I tuck into my beans on toast. Excellent. Is it better than the UK one? Um, if uh, if Shine TV could close their ears at this point, um, and um, if Patrick Holland will look away now, uh, the answer is yes. <laughs> a declaration from Chris on Australian MasterChef. Kate, you've you've had a slightly furrowed brow trying to think of uh, trying to think of something that you've been watching all the way over there by Lake Michigan. What have we got? Well, yeah, I mean, I, you know, I'm in America and so I've been doing a lot of on demand. I have to say, and I probably shouldn't say this, but I just really love this series called Justified with Timmy, Timothy Oliphant. Uh, he plays this kind of Harlan County, you know, ranger who goes after folks. And what I like about it is it's basically, it's a procedural with a, with a, a series thing that I can watch, you know, I can basically, you know, binge it and I love it. Um, so that I've been watching that. I'm, I'm afraid that's a, uh, I've been doing on demand stuff. So I haven't been watching sort of a, a lot of uh, linear TV cause I'm not mm. in the UK. Good stuff. What network's it on Kate? FX. It's on FX. Great stuff. Well, thanks to both of you for joining me today. It's been an absolute pleasure until next time. Thanks Max. Cheerio. Nice Thank you. Thank you for listening to the broadcast news wrap. I'm senior reporter Max Goldbart, and you've been listening to editor-in-chief Chris Curtis and freelance journalist Kate Bulkley, one of the contributors to our new monthly magazine, which comes out on the 24th of September. The editor of this week's podcast is John Elms. You can check out past episodes of the pod on Spotify and iTunes, or on the website via www.broadcastnow.co dot uk